It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody could ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. And welcome to the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on this Wednesday as we take you up till the next 60 minutes. Multiple ways for you to interact with us here on the program. But first, a reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by the New York Lottery. And you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Thanks so much for spending part of your day with us. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat. You can also directly interact with us on Twitter. I'm at Lance Meadow. One word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. Momentarily, we'll be hearing from head coach Joe Judge. Here are his week six presser as he sets the stage for the matchup with Washington as the Giants will continue NFC East play after falling to the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday. So that is coming up. We'll also touch on some of the assistant coach pressers that took place yesterday. Some insightful analysis in terms of some plays from Sunday as well as from Mark Colombo on the offensive line. And I want to start, Paul, with the transactions because Austin Mack was officially added to the 53-man roster. Damian Ratley was let go, and we were talking about perhaps maybe one of the young guys on the practice squad getting an opportunity. Mack had previously been called up for the Rams game. He was inactive, and now he'll have an opportunity to be officially on the roster. Can we finally see a Mack attack out of this Giants (laughs) offense? This guy is a player. He's a baller. He's strong. He's physical. He has length. He attacks the football. He just makes plays. Now, I get it. An undrafted rookie free agent, so he's going to be slow to be brought along. And quite honestly, I don't even know if he gets a jersey on Sunday. But just trust me on this. If he does get a jersey and is on the field, you will want to take a look at him. Because when the ball is thrown into his area, he makes sure that he clutches it when it gets to his box. He will fight defensive backs to make sure that it's his catch. Well, and he runs the entire route tree. We saw that at Ohio State. And I think that from the perspective of the Giants, Paul, it doesn't hurt to infuse a new player into this offense. They're clearly looking for a spark. Now, we don't know whether or not Sterling Shepard will be able to return this week. It's important to note he is eligible to come off IR because he's missed three games. But a lot is going to depend on what happens at practice today and over the next few days. So, you know, Mac is a guy that I think the Giants are looking at to say, okay, We've got Golden Tate. We've got Evan Engram. We've utilized some of the different running backs. Let's see if somebody else other than a Ratley or a C.J. Board can do something on offense to help move the chains. Now, let me make something clear. If Mack does play, he is not a speed burner. He is not a guy who's going to stretch the field. You're not going to necessarily get him on a 50-yard go route. That's not his forte. But what he does, the back shoulder throw, the slant, the dig, all of those kinds of routes where – he can out-physical corners, okay? He can out-physical corners to make sure that he makes the grab. He will fight for his quarterback to make sure that there's a completion. That's what I love about this guy. He's like a pit bull going after the ball. And for me, that is really something that can actually help spark an offense. When a guy makes a play like that, let's say on third and eight, and comes up with an 11-yard catch where he out-muscled the defender for a ball, That could excite an offense just as much as a 30-yard pass downfield. Well, to your point, they're looking for somebody to move the chains. And that, to me, is what is synonymous with Austin Mack. If you get a guy that can get those 8-yard catches, those 10-yard catches, those hard-fought catches, as you labeled them, Paul, that's what you're looking for right now within the Giants' offense. Yes, of course they want the big explosive plays. Everybody wants the big explosive plays. But I think right now it's more of a baby step mentality. Hey, can you get somebody on the field, make the catches, help Daniel Jones and help the Giants move down the field. So that is the notable transaction. The other thing related to the wide receiver position, given the fact that Ratley was let go to make room for Mack, Tyke Tolbert spoke to the media yesterday, and Paul, if you ask me of all the assistants that spoke, I thought Tolbert was extremely insightful because he broke down play-by-play, area-by-area, however you want to label it, what occurred on that pick play. It wasn't meant to be a pick play, as Tolbert made clear, but that's what called back the Darius Slayton 31-yard touchdown, and he made it known it was Ratley running a route on that play. 
The purpose was not to pick. Unfortunately, the timing was off. He said it was a little bit rushed, a little bit fast on Ratley's mm-hmm. part. But Slayton admitted that after the game and pretty much Tolbert echoed those sentiments. Well, this comes down to what we talk about when we say technique is incredibly important. Ratley did not have the proper technique on his route. Consequently, he was rough around the edges, and it allowed an official to see what he thought was a penalty and throw the flag. If you run the route correctly, it probably doesn't happen. And with that being said, Joe Judge is now addressing the media for week six. Everyone, as always, please use the raise hand function. They're all in, Coach. Guys, how's everyone doing today? All right, so... You know, today we started on Washington. We picked up as a team. We've cleaned up the uh, previous game over the last couple of days and put that to rest with the team. And now our thoughts and focus are fully on Washington from this point forward. Uh, obviously, this is an explosive team. You talk about them defensively, it really starts up front. You know, the edge players, the interior, they've got a number of first-round draft picks on their line. They've got a lot of very capable players. You know, that complemented by their corners and their playmaking safeties really gives them fits for opposing offenses. They do a good job producing pressure up front and capitalizing on the opportunities produced from up front. Uh, this is a team that can get after you with just the front four. They can bring pressure. They do a really good job with their movement schemes and they change up throughout the game. You know, Del Rio does a really good job with Ron as far as scheming for the opponent, changing up. But the other thing they do is they really keep it simple for their players to play fast and play ahead. You know, Offensively, obviously, Turner's doing a really good job of moving the pieces around. That's a great catch and run team. You got McLaurin's one of the top guys in the league at catching short passes, turning into basically a punt return, getting into space. This is an elite screen team. You know, whether it's running the ball between the tackles or getting this into space, they're going to get to the running backs as much as they can, and they're going to get them moving. You know, in a kicking game, it starts with big game specialists. Nate does a great job of really letting those guys just go ahead and bang away and use their leg strength. They can flip the field every time they do it. So you've got to be in a position to make sure you play sound in the kicking game. Otherwise, they can control the field position. So, this is an explosive team. There's a tremendous amount of talent on it. They can make plays, you know, in any phase. And we have to make sure that we're prepared this week. That being said, I'd like to open up for questions, whatever I can answer. We, we have a couple members from the uh, Washington media with us. So we'll start. Uh, Les, do you have a question? Yeah. Hey, Joe. How's it going? Um, you know, Ron Rivera talks a lot down here about having five, there are 5,000 reps for a young player is kind of his arbitrary figure for when a guy sort of starts to get things. And often the context is quarterback, but other positions as well. Do you kind of have a similar philosophy? Have you developed one? Have you worked with guys who have had philosophies like that? Yeah. I mean, I think overall, excuse me, you can simplify it and just practicing well prepares you for game execution. And that's the biggest thing. Whether it's 5,000 reps, you know, I've heard before 10,000 hours makes you an expert, whatever you may want to say. Um, but to me, it's just repetition obviously makes you better. It gives you opportunity to see multiple looks, gives you opportunity to adjust and learn from your own mistakes and the mistakes of those next to you. So when you get it in live action, you can make the correct adjustment on the fly. Thanks. Adam. Yeah, hey, Joe. Um, thanks for doing this. Um, so far over the course of the season, what have the, been the biggest takeaways for you about what it's like for defenses and the challenges they face without uh, crowd noise, home or away? And specifically, have you noticed a big difference in the way quarterbacks are able to use the, the hard count? Yeah, I think you've seen that across the league. The quarterbacks really this year are doing a good job using the hard counts. You know, while that shouldn't be something that impacts defenses across the league, it is. And the quarterbacks have done a great job of that. I think you see a lot of teams changing up their communication on the line of scrimmage because of how much you can hear on TV copies and how much the microphones pick up. So that being said, we've already noticed a lot of teams that are changing up their verbiage, you know, and we've made, you know, adjustments ourselves along the way to account for what other teams can pick up on us. And is there a different kind of challenge um, getting the, getting a defense to like the energy level that it needs when, when the stadiums are, are, are quiet? No, no, you got to bring your own energy to be ready to play. Thanks. Jillian. Hey, Coach. Um, I'm just wondering, you guys have had a little bit of a slow start here, 0-5, and uh, I'm wondering in particular what parts of your game do you think that you need more attention to and how are you addressing them right now going to this next one? Yeah, I mean, right now, regardless of the record, we're coming back to work and we're working on being an improved team day by day and week by week. So everyone's got to coach better, everyone's got to play better. There's not a single aspect of our performance that we don't want to improve on. You know, no matter how good it may be compared to where it was in week one, it has to be much better by week 16. So we've got to keep improving as a team. Okay. 
Hey, Joe. Uh, There's been a lot of talk this week about, you know, making progress and that sort of thing. Uh, With Daniel, what's the area or areas you really want to see him, you know, make the next step? Well, there's a lot of things, Dan, right now. But, you know, look, this guy's still a young guy. We're working on getting him really comfortable within the scheme, you know, handling different situations. He's made a lot of progress for us. You know, as an entire team, you know, we want to see guys make strides in a running and passing game and defensively in a kicking game as well. But I've seen a lot of progress from Daniel. Uh, he's definitely come. He's a very resilient guy. He's a fighter. He stands there and plays very aggressive. I'm pleased with the way he played. For the most part to this point, there's obviously some things that all of us as coaches and players have to clean up and learn from and not repeat mistakes. Thanks, Joe. Don Levy. Hey, Joe. You weren't here last year when these two teams met uh, in week, week 16, but I'm sure you've looked back at the film. I'm wondering two things. One, <laughs> when you look back at that and you have 40-ish guys from that team on your team, does the effort that they're playing, despite it being like a two-win team versus a two-win team, does that stand out to you? And then you were on the winning side of a lot of December games. Did you take note of when you were playing teams with the Patriots, the losing teams who gave a good effort in December and the teams that, you know, mailed it in when their season was over? You know, look, regardless of the record, uh, it's our job to always expect everybody's best. And that's our job as coaches. Our players can't go into games overconfident because anybody's record. And we want to make sure we come and we play for 60 complete minutes every week. You know, we play regardless of situation or circumstance or the score in the game with the same energy that we started the game with. So I understand the question you're saying. Um, obviously, I've watched all the games from last year. I looked at it from different perspectives in terms of, you know, analyzing players individually into what we would have done with this year's roster. That was really early part of the process. In terms of the energy that was played with last year, to be honest with you, Ryan, not to dismiss that part of the question, I'm really only concerned what we do this year. Oh, Tom Rock. Joe, you, you've defended uh, Daniel quite a bit in these sessions with us, and uh, Jerry has, and, and uh, Jason has as well. I, I'm curious, do you, do you share those thoughts with him personally? Like, do you, do you tell him that he's your guy? Daniel? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Look, we have all the confidence in the world in the guys on our roster. We have a lot of confidence in Daniel as well. And listen, just my personality, the personality of coaching staff is, you know, we're very blunt, open, and honest. I'm not really sitting here trying to sell you a car. You know, we're not recruiting you to college. I'm going to tell you the truth every day. And you got to be mentally tough to handle that. You have to understand the criticism that we're giving to you. And you have to be able to, you know, take the coaching and move forward with it. And I'll tell you what, now, number eight does does that very well for us. You know, he's a tough-minded dude. He responds to a lot of criticism on the outside. But he blocks out and he plays for his teammates internally. And those guys respect that about him. So, you know, have I had, you know, private conversations with every one of our players? Absolutely. Do I say things to them that I'm not going to reveal in the public? Absolutely. Um, and that's just part of my job. Uh, we're very honest with our players. We let them know where they're at, where we need them to go. And then we put them in positions where they can work on how we can get them there. But, you know, today we're focused on Washington. So, you know, I'm sure him along with every other player in the team will do everything they can to get ready for Washington. And then just a, a quick one on uh, Jabril. How did he come out of the game with his, with his ankle? And do you expect him to be back to close to 100% of the snaps this week? Yeah, we definitely expect to see him having an increased role. You know, we'll see as he goes through these next couple of days of practice where he's at. But, uh, you know, I was pleased with the effort he played with. Um, everyone comes out a little bit dinged and bruised up. That's just the nature of the NFL. But uh, I thought he made some progress for us, and we'll get him on the field, and we'll have an idea of what load he can handle. Zach. Hey, Joe. Uh, I feel like I'm asking you about a talented pass rusher on the other side almost every week at this point. But uh, Chase Young, I'm sure, is a guy that you scouted a bit coming out of Ohio State. And I'm curious what makes him kind of unique in, in the way he's able to produce the way he does. Yeah, I mean, this guy, first off, he's really athletic. I mean, and that, that kind of goes, you know, yeah, I got you. But he's really athletic, which enables him to do a variety of things. You know, his speed off the edge is very good. His reaction on the counter moves, the way he plays off contact, he has great instincts to find the ball, which is very important because this is a guy, you go to the Eagles game, you know, they really chipped him a lot with the running back and the tackle, and they try to get the double teams to slow him down. You know, you watch him in that, his ability to spin off and get inside and really still isolate and make it a one-on-one matchup and get to the quarterback. He's got a great knack for finding the ball in the pocket and really going and attacking the quarterbacks as they're trying to step up in the pocket. He's got versatility to drop in the pass. And he can really play in the zones. He's got good breaking speed. He's a good tackler. You know, this guy plays with a high motor. I mean, it's like, look, you know, whether it's him or sweat on the other side, I mean, these guys come off the edge. They're, they're dangerous players. 
And and then Works. you guys made the you guys oh, sorry if I can just follow up real quick you, you guys made the decision to cut uh, Damian Ratley and you called up uh, Austin Mack I'm just curious what uh, Austin has showed you and over the course of the season on the practice squad that made you want to do that you know he's just guy's been very consistent for us in terms of how he comes to work every day and some of the production he's had in practice so he's been very dedicated to you know his craft and improving he's shown some progress in his training camp but he's a guy that since we got him yeah you know, has demonstrated you know accountability and knowing his assignments you know, and execute with the right technique and being productive when the ball came his way. Thanks, Joe. Schwartz. Schwartz, you there? Yes, uh, Joe. Um, a couple more on Daniel, if you don't mind. Um, Jerry said yesterday that um, he said Daniel takes these losses really hard. Um, how does that manifest itself? What do you see how he takes a loss hard? Uh, can a quarterback, a young guy, take a loss too hard? And um, also, uh, late in these games, you always hear about baseball players. Sometimes they say the guy squeezes the bat too hard, you know, gets a little tense in uh, late inning situations. Uh, do you see any of that from Daniel late in these games? No, I don't at all. In fact, he made a lot of good plays for us down the stretch in the Dallas game. You know, made a lot of big completions on extended plays of extended drives for it. So no, I don't see any of that with him at all. In fact, I see him getting more comfortable and relaxed within the scheme, which has been a positive. You know, the only thing I could say for Daniel, and I don't want to speak for anybody else, but I would just say in terms of, you know, whatever his emotion is after the game, I see him funnel it into a solid week of work. I see him back in the building early on Monday, preparing his body, again, back in the tape to review it. I see him here late on Tuesday watching film, and I see him early on Wednesday before the rest of the team shows up, getting a jump start on the install. So whatever the emotion is, I can't speak for him on that. I just know that whatever it is, he funnels that into hard work throughout the entire week. Thanks. We'll take two more. Uh, Kim and Art. Am I up? Yes, Kim. Okay, first. okay thank you very much. Hey, Joe. Um, you mentioned Montez Sweat and also, of course, Chase Young. And I know it's going to sound like a dumb question, but I've asked them before. Does Daniel have to be, you know, overly cognizant of ball security against two really fast young players who are going to swipe that ball if they can? I think we all have to be. That's every player on the team. This team's done a great job producing turnovers. We're on top of National Football League in that. Now, that's whether that's the corners making the interception, Kim, because they have great zone vision on those early downs, or if that's them stripping and swatting at the ball for fumbles. So every skill player who touches the ball, all right, has to be very conscious of the players around them because they do a great job attacking that ball. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Kim. Last one here, Art. Hey, Joe, uh, with with the guys on the edge, with outside linebackers, obviously we know with Zoe and, and X being down and Marcus and Kyler kind of stepping up. Just wanted to ask you about Cam Brown a little bit. Uh, and when you're dealing with a young player like that who is really seems to be coming into his own on special teams the last couple of weeks, I know how specials are so important to you. Do you walk a line between how much you want to give him on defense uh, because he's becoming – an asset for you on special teams? Is that something you guys think about? No, no, really we're gonna do whatever's best for the team. So if this guy can play every snap on defense, every snap in the kicking game, I have no problem with that. And look, I've been able to be around some players. Uh, look, Coach Patrick Chung in 2015, this guy played every snap of defense for us and never came off the field in the kicking game either. So if you've got that kind of motor, that kind of tank, you can handle that load, we'll give it to you. Now at the same time, we gotta do what's best for the team. So maybe not every situation is where you have to be. I would say for Cam, he's a guy who's really is coming into his own in the kicking game. I think the one thing about special teams for young players is it allows them to really learn and adjust to the speed of the game and the physicality. And just the reactionary instincts they have to develop within the game, that transfers over to offense or defense as well. So he's gotten some good exposure already through five weeks of really playing and seeing some you know fast-paced ball in front of him. That should apply and help him in defense eventually. You know, we'll practice him this week. Uh, he's always been practicing those roles anyway, and we'll see where it leads us by the game plan. I know you guys had a, a workout with Trent Harris, and I know uh, you're probably going to be adding to the practice squad, at least from what I understand. But are you, did you cross his paths much two years ago when he was up in New England? And why is he a fit with what you guys like to do defensively with Pat? Well, we did. We worked him out. We signed him to the practice squad. He was with – I was with him in New England, and he was with Pat in Miami as well. So – Look, this is a guy that plays on the edge. Uh, I think he's got a good skill set in terms of setting the edge, some pass rush ability. You know, we're see, we'll see where he's at through the week of practice. Uh, we're going to work all the guys on our roster and practice squad every week within the game plan and see what pieces fit best for us. But 
you know, he's a lunch pail type of guy, comes to work every day, doesn't say much, just works, you know, good team first personality. So he's a good match for what we're looking for right now. We'll look to see if, you know, what opportunities present itself to him. Thanks, sir. Thanks. All right, so that was head coach Joe Judge speaking to the media as we welcome you back to Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you on this Wednesday edition. And Washington's defense was clearly the big topic of discussion. We'll get into that here in a second. There was not a question about Sterling Shepard's status in terms of coming off the IR or maybe giving himself more of an opportunity to get back at it at practice. So we'll have to wait until the injury report comes out later today. But, Paul, clearly Joe Judge understands that this is a Washington defense that has been opportunistic. They have spread the wealth in terms of their sacks. They have 15 sacks, 12 are on the defensive line, and you know everybody has pretty much three or less. So it's not just one guy that's been dominant. Chase Young certainly comes to mind, Montez Sweat. Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Ryan Kerrigan is not even listed as a starter this season. That just goes to show you how much depth. And this is a game where Washington's defense, if that group is disruptive, that's where I see this game completely changing. Well, I think if you weigh out all of the matchups, the one that clearly is in the, I almost said the football team, the Washington football team's advantage how many times is that going to happen this week, by the way, Lance? Well, it's just like the San Diego Chargers, <laughs> right? You Indeed. call them sometimes the San Diego Chargers, even though they're Los Angeles. Indeed. you got to get used to the jargon. That's so all. The, the, the football team, uh, their biggest advantage in this game is clearly their defensive front matching up against the Giants' offensive front as well. Uh, to me, I don't think there's any doubt. If, if, the, red, if uh, the, the, the red team, <laughs> if the red team, if the red team, is going to win this game, it is because their defensive front took control, dominated, and basically just grabbed this game by the throat and decided that they were going to determine the outcome. That, to me, is their best chance to win. I, I, don't, I don't think the other matchups do much for Washington, but that one itself is a dangerous one, and it could really turn the whole tide of the game. Well, because I go back to the schedule for Washington this season, and clearly this team has lost four in a row. They've given up 30 points, at least 30, in each of their four losses. The first game of the season, though, Paul, when they played Philadelphia, they got it, Carson Wentz, time and time again. Now, granted, the Eagles' offensive line was banged up, but as you just alluded to, the Giants' offensive line has been up and down, and Washington's offensive line has been up and down. So, you know, this could be a game where either, either defensive front wrecks the game, and that ultimately determines who's winning and who's losing. I yeah. would not be surprised. Well, the other thing that you'll notice with both of these teams, because if you look at all of the key stats on defense for both the Giants and the red team, what you will see is that they're both kind of in the middle of the NFL in terms of key statistical factors, rush defense, pass defense, points allowed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It, it belies their record. But what has happened to both of these defenses consistently through the first five weeks of the season? And I won't make you guess. I'm going to tell you. Busted the coverages and missed assignments on key big plays in the secondary. And it has bitten both of these teams in the back many many times and you know that unfortunately Lance is also another way that this game could turn for either team sure. is if you have a busted coverage and all of a sudden it goes for a 45-yard touchdown and that's exactly what happened in the Rams game because Robert Woods I would argue had the touchdown on a broken assignment there were a number of bad angles that were taken based on the Washington secondary <clears throat> and he had a 56-yard touchdown and Cooper Cup and Cooper Cup against the Giants yeah there you Same go, the thing. 55 yarder. Same mm -hmm. thing. Busted play, gave up a freebie touchdown. It was critical to the game. By the way, speaking of the Rams, you'll notice we brought that team up a lot because the Rams have already pulled off a sweep against the NFC East. We're only five weeks into the season, and the Rams are I heard they're petitioning Goodell to transfer <laughs> into this division. I wouldn't blame them because they pretty much would probably have the division wrapped up at this point. Unfortunately, <laughs> they have to play in a much deeper NFC West where we could see as many as perhaps three teams 
get into the playoffs. That's just the nature of the beast, of course, when it comes to the NFL. And we'll certainly get more into this Washington Giants matchup because it's not necessarily just about the defenses. It's also about whether or not both offenses can maybe show some spark as we move forward here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. In the meantime, let's open up the lines at 201-939-4513. You can also hit us up, hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter, at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. Scott is in New Mexico. He gets us going on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Scott? Hi, guys. How are you today? Hi. Doing all right. What's on your mind? Uh, I'm going to lead from a quote uh, from Vince Lombardi uh, because I think it's relevant. Winning is not a sometime thing. It's an all-time thing. You don't win once in a while. You do it right all the time. Winning is a habit. Unfortunately, so is losing. After five games, I'm trying to see where the improvement is from last year because statistically, I'm not going to bother you with the statistics, but the Giants were averaging, I think, 5.7 yards per play last year, and now they're a full yard behind that. And while I appreciate all the things you said, because I think they're all relevant, the one thing, this game is not about improvement. It's about wins and losses. And I'm a little, in fact, listening to the conversation, I'm a little angry in the sense that I know Joe, Joe Judge recognizes that. He's not stupid. And yet I don't see where the improvements are. I don't think it has so much to do with players because I think they have talent, as I've mentioned before. But what I don't like is the undisciplined aspect, which addresses some of your points, Lance, that they're making penalties, although not as many, but they're making them in the wrong times. And that, to me, is an undisciplined football team. But when you get down to the nitty-gritty, the reason uh, this whole thing about Daniel Jones is really sort of pissing me off because he's not the real culprit. You have an offensive line that's a sieve right now. If you look at where the pressures are, they're coming up the middle, and you know, based on your experience with the Giants, when they won their Super Bowls, if you can get pressure up the middle, it makes it very easy for the outside linebackers or defensive ends to make these sacks. And that's where the pressure is coming from. Uh, Gates, Zeitler, and Hernandez are, are playing pedestrian football right now, in my opinion. And until that improves, this could be an 0-14 team. And I'd hate to see that with the talent they have. This is just my personal opinion. I know Andrew Thomas is not playing well. That's statistically accurate. We hope that he will improve. But neither are the other players on that offensive line. And you're not going to run the football. You're not going to have time to pass unless the offensive line improves dramatically. And that's the only way you reverse an 0-5 team. But I don't see... The one thing I don't see is I don't see the the players on the team being very angry. They may be angry in the locker room. This is probably happening. But if I were an 0-5 team, I'd be just throwing things against the wall and so forth because there's too much talent, again, to waste. But I wanted to get your perspective of how you actually turn this all around. If the players you have are the players you have, and it seems to be a revolving door now, and, of course, with the injuries, it compounds everything. How do you change a losing perspective so that you have – and I don't think it has to do with, with uh, continuity and execution because how did that work out for people like Dan Quinn and Robert O'Brien? They're no longer even coaching any longer. So how do you actually physically, not just mentally, but physically change the game plan? Do you change the offensive line to make it more cohesive so Daniel Jones has time to do it? I was listening to the broadcast because I wasn't in town, and I listened to the Dallas uh, Cowboys announcers. I don't know if you know who they are, uh, the radio broadcasters, and they're very, very funny. And they were lambasting their own team as well as the Giants. They made some comments about the Giants that I didn't recognize that were maybe true, and maybe you can answer this. They said they never saw a team with receivers that were really – didn't come back to help out their quarterback when he was in trouble, which was probably a good portion of the game. He said they were one of the worst teams of receivers coming back to actually help out their quarterback. These are basic things, things that you need to teach, but more importantly, you have to put into action. And, of course, I'm frustrated at the way the season is progressing because an 0-5 team is not representative of the talent that you have. You have people like Blake Martinez. You have people like... 
who I consider to be a very good quarterback, Daniel Jones, who's not playing well because he's rushed constantly. He doesn't have time to even throw. Well, but, Scott, let me just jump in here. The whole point is talent on paper doesn't translate to wins when the execution doesn't meet the talent. So, I mean, you're pretty much answering your own question. It really doesn't matter how talented a roster looks on paper or the resume of the individual players. If you're not scoring touchdowns, as often as you're kicking field goals, if you're committing penalties at untimely portions of the game, all of those things cancel out talent. The Texans, but, but for example, and the Atlanta Falcons, who you brought up, Atlanta has Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Russell Gage. I mean, they got an immense amount of offensive exactly, talent. We're talking about Pro Bowl players. But, they don't, but, they, but the one game that, they, that probably got Dan Quinn fired is that offside, onside kick where nobody really knew the rule, no matter what they said, they could have picked up the ball way before it went 10 yards, and everybody on that team should have known Correct. that. Well, that's a combination of perhaps ill-advised coaching, but also the lack of execution. I mean, the team didn't execute. And I don't think Dan Quinn lost his job based on that one game. If you've been watching the Falcons, they have had a very tough time holding on to leads. Please, it's been right, an ongoing that's... issue during Dan Quinn's entire tenure since the Super Bowl loss. Right, but I'm saying, uh, in, in retrospect to the Giants, you know, when a team is 0-5, and, and I don't want to go on to one because I know you'll have other callers, but how do you turn this damn thing around so that Giant fans aren't looking at other franchises that have been able to do it, uh, say, in three years, if you take the Rams or you take the 49ers or you take Buffalo, which lost yesterday? They've been able to revamp their lineup. They've been able to put a at least a, a team that is competitive on the field. Uh, and they've been able to do it in the same time frame. I think most of them started in 2017 when they started to make these push. And even though Kyle Shanahan, I think, in his first year was 0-9, the team showed improvement. Where is the improvement? All the statistical numbers show the opposite. I don't want to get into a long diatribe, but I'm just frustrated at the fact that there's talent on this organization, and we keep talking about the wrong things, Daniel Jones being... Uh, one of them. He's a good quarterback. He just doesn't have time to throw, and he doesn't have a line that can block effectively to get runners open. And I'll, I'll end it there because I'm still mad. But All right, Scott. I well, to get it we'll we'll let chest. you go on that note and appreciate the phone call. Paul, I don't think there's one answer to the last caller's point. I think there's a variety of factors. Number one, why the Giants are losing games. And, you know, to excuse one player and put the blame on one facet, I don't think tells the whole story. I think Daniel Jones certainly has had issues in terms of the pass protection. He has done a heck of a job in terms of extending plays, as we saw in the Dallas game. And I would argue, I thought Darius Slayton came back to the ball to help him more often than not throughout the course of that game. At the same time, Daniel Jones's individual decision-making at points in games needs to improve. He'd be the first one to admit that, especially the interception against the Rams. So, you know, you can really point your finger at a variety of things. It's not necessarily one element in play here. The San Francisco 49ers have gone through a stretch where they made the playoffs three times in 16 years, beginning in 2003. So... My first point of contention against uh, the call is that, oh, the San Francisco 49ers were able to turn things around quickly. Uh, they did not make the playoffs. Their last playoff appearance uh, uh, during the stretch was 2002. They proceeded not to make it again until 2011. Okay? Then they made it for three straight years, and then they failed in 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and then they finally made it again last year. So that's 13 failures over 16 years to make it to the playoffs. Look, I've got no problem with people who are frustrated and no problem with people who want to state the facts and that things are not going well and that this team is overdue to win. That's fine. But during the course of his 25-minute soliloquy, he was incorrect on that fact. And it's just important that we point that out. It's also important that we point out that this was amongst the worst defenses in every category in the NFL last year. And right now they rank eighth in the NFL in total defense if you look at yardage, 14th in total defense if you strictly look at points. Uh, so where's the improvement? No improvement, as the caller had said. Well, clearly he hasn't watched any football in recent times because the Giants' defense is miles ahead of where it was last season. 
And you'd have to literally have your eyes closed not to be able to see that. So now that we've fixed those two facts and we can at least erase both of those fallacies, the rest of what he said is frustration and disappointment. And that's fine. That's absolutely fine. I get it. Okay, but let's just make sure that if we're going to go into areas of of criticism, that at least we use accurate facts. And that's that's my gripe with the call. Other than that, Lance, I have nothing else to say. Well, the other thing I was going to add is the Buffalo Bills was another team that was brought up and Buffalo went nine and seven in 2017. And they were 6-10-18. and 10 and 18. They bounced back last year at 10-6. and six. Obviously, they're off to a good start. A lot of it has to do with Josh Allen's progression and his improvement. They also have had one of the most solid defenses in the NFL over the last few seasons. And they've continually added to that talent pool. I don't think the Giants had near the same framework on defense that the Buffalo Bills did, well, if you want to use that as a comparison. And they did revamp their offensive line. I think it's fair to bring Buffalo in. But, you know, as we saw last night, offensive line didn't do a very good job so you know we're still seeing some ups and downs with respect to that well, buffalo offense i'll line. give you something even better and i i didn't even hear him mention the bills because after a while it became easy to tune out but here's the deal look at the buffalo bills if you really want to bring them up and of course that would be a horrible mistake because this is a team that made the playoffs in 1999 and did not make the playoffs oh, again until strike. 2017 yeah. Well, I'm just okay. dealing with, but I'm dealing with more of the 17 to the current. All right, phase. but, but, but that's, but that's not the, that's not the question. That's not the question. The point was, the, the gentleman was asking about a quick turnaround. Well, you could talk about the last four or five years if you want to as a little slice of the pizza pie, but if you're going to make a broad brush statement like that, you have to be able to back it up with facts. And the Bills did not make the playoffs between the 2001 season all the way until 2017, okay, which is the better part of two consecutive decades. Well, I got news for you. In the last decade, the Giants won a Super Bowl. That was 2011. And they did make the playoffs again, of course, in 16. So we're not talking about the same thing. Again, just stick to the facts. That's all. No, and I think the bigger point, though, and, and I completely get where you're coming from. I don't think it was more of the history and track record of the no, franchise. No, but it's important it when you when you get somebody three years. Uh, that's but that, but that's not the point. The point is when 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 the complaint is made that oh, other teams have turned it around very quickly. Well, guess what? That's not exactly true. In in the last couple of years, yes. Again, that's a slice of the pie. If if you want to take the one cookie out of the bag that's got the chocolate chips in it. That doesn't mean the rest of the bag has chocolate chips in the cookie. Okay? He's being very selective in his complaint. It's a narrow focus, and it's quite frankly inaccurate. Well, that's why I pointed out, I think even if you do look at the small sample size of this last three-year period, the Niners and the Bills still have had their fair share of ups and downs. It hasn't been smooth sailing where Buffalo's winning a division title every year, the Niners the same thing. We've seen one good year from San Francisco when they won the Super Bowl, and I like both of these teams. I'm not trying to bring them down, and I think that they still have potential to make some noise this season. It's just, you know, if you're going to prove that a team made a true turnaround and then stayed there, you've got to show that they made the playoffs then consistently over a three-year span and won a division title. And that necessarily has not come to fruition for those two teams that were mentioned, San Francisco and Buffalo. Let's head back to the phone lines. Hugo is in New Jersey. Hugo, welcome aboard. What do you got for us? Uh, good afternoon, guys. Since, uh, since we're going the quote route here, I think it was Yogi Berra who said, it gets late early. And, you know, when I made my prediction for the Giants' season – uh, I was resigned to the fact that they would likely be 0-5 looking at their schedule. Um, but what I didn't realize is that, you know, along the way, San Francisco would be playing a lot of backups. And, you know, that was not a good Dallas Cowboy team on Saturday. And, and despite the 34 points, um, you know, we only put up 300 yards against a pretty poor defense. And when I look at the NFC East, you know, Dallas is playing three backup offensive linemen. I watched the uh, Steeler-Eagle game with a Steeler fan, and he became frustrated that T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree couldn't consistently get to Carson Wentz, and it was a two-point game late in the fourth quarter. And uh, 
you know, it's Jason Kelsey and four guys I never heard of before. The, the left tackle was a former rugby player. So, you know, what I get concerned about is the underperformance of the offensive line and how it's affecting our quarterback. Because all of a sudden you're starting to see some bad habits. And I'm getting worried that the guy's getting pummeled and he's going to end go the way of David Carr or maybe, you know, someone like uh, Andrew Luck who had to have surgery. I mean, even when he throws the ball, he's getting hit. And, you know, you don't question the traits, the intelligence, the hard work, like some of the people in the press were trying to, I think, allude to in their questioning of Joe Judge. But, but you know, these hits accumulate, you know, and by the you know, 12th, 14th game of the season, the guys could be shell-shocked. So that offensive line, it's inexcusable that we have our five starters, no clusters of injuries in the offensive line. The other top two teams in the division have clusters of injuries. And, by the way, Carson Wentz is throwing to Zach Ertz and a bunch of guys I never heard of before. Well, he was doing that last season, too, if you remember. Yeah, and they have much more functional offenses. And I, 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 that's what I find inexcusable about all this. Now, my, my, the other point I wanted to make was uh, to the Washington game. I, I think Washington is going to test the edges, given the injuries to our edge guys. And I think the Giants better be ready for Plan B. And Plan B might be deploying a four-man front every once in a while with four down linemen and they should really consider maybe activating McIntosh this week and being ready for plan B because, you know, given their quarterback situation, I think they're going to try to run. They're going to test the edges. So we better be ready for that. Well, there's no doubt about it, and appreciate the phone call, Hugo. Thanks so much for weighing in. I think Washington, you know, even with Kyle Allen taking over as the starting quarterback, they don't want him going out and throwing 35, 40 times. So, yeah, they're going to try to establish the run, just like the Cowboys you know, tried to establish the run with Zeke, especially once Dak got hurt, so that Andy Dalton didn't necessarily have to play hero ball. It's a copycat league. I wouldn't be surprised, and it's not as if Washington has a bunch of star-studded receivers outside of Terry McLaurin. So, yeah, I think that the Giants can expect Washington's going to try to run the football, and the Giants are going to have to slow it down. And there's been times where I think the Giants' rushing defense has been effective. There's been times where late in games we have saw some leakage, such as what Zeke did, David Montgomery with the Bears, and then, of course, Snell with the Steelers. So I think you've had some mixed results. As far as the offensive line, Paul, with respect to comparing other teams in the division, once again, you've got the same offensive coordinator in Philadelphia, and pretty much the coaching staff is intact, as well as Dallas, I know has changed things, but Kellen Clemens is still the offensive coordinator. So, you know, the point is, the backups that come in, I would argue that those coaching staffs have a little bit better of an idea of what those guys are made of because they've been around them a little bit longer versus, of course, what the Giants are with a lot of new personnel and a brand-new coaching staff. Well, we're going to see more of the division, obviously, in the next two weeks. I would only say this about the Cowboys, not the uh, the Cowboys, but the Red Team's uh, running game, they to this point in the season, they have preferred to run the ball directly up the middle. That's the way that they have geared their running attack. But there's a lot of cries down in Washington about getting Antonio Gibson even more involved than he has been. Now, this is a rookie who was a wide receiver at Memphis. Yep. He had 4-3 speed. And basically, the idea was that Ron Rivera drafted him in the third round with the anticipation that he would become a poor man's Christian McCaffrey and that they would be able to use his versatility and get him out in space. Well, to this point, they haven't really done that very much. And there are cries down in Washington that are saying, look, you got to get this guy a little bit more room to operate. You got to run him to the edges. You got to get the, the, the short passes to him. You got to get him the screens. You got to get him the checkdowns. You got to hit him in the flat. And you got to give this guy some more room and daylight so that he can use his quicks because he is a very skilled athlete. Well, that's obviously the stuff that McCaffrey does for the Panthers. So I think this is the week that they will try to do that, especially considering, as the caller said, the Giants are down Lorenzo Carter, who is steady, consistent, smart. Uh, you could be tr- you could be trusted. It's 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 not good, even though he's not a big stat guy. Lorenzo Carter has become a really good football player. And so the Giants, in all likelihood, 
will wind up using Golden and Fackrell as the two outside backers. Now, Golden last week in his first real heavy-duty significant action did not play the run very well. Okay? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a huge Marcus Golden fan. But that game that he played last week in Dallas was not a sample or anything close to what he did last year when he played a full season for the Giants and was incredibly strong against the run and also did a good job rushing the quarterback. I thought his game showed a lot of rust against the Cowboys. He's going to have to get back to being the Marcus Golden of 2019 if he's going to be able to hold up against uh, Washington. As far as Fackel's concerned, this guy's an athletic player. In the last two weeks, he has seen a dramatic increase in his snaps. He came up with the first pick of his career in Dallas, the first touchdown of his career, obviously, on the 46-yard interception return. He's important because he's got length. He's 6'5", he's athletic, and he's got length. In fact, when he was at Utah State, they called him Fackrell the Freak (laughs) because of his skill set and because of his unique body type. Okay? They also loved his athleticism and, and his coverage skills. Well, let me tell you something. The Redskins love the short pass and the dump offs to the running backs. They haven't been given as many to Gibson as people would like, but Gibson does get some of them. McKissick gets a bunch of them. They also hit Thomas, their tight end, on a lot of short passes. Fackrell could be very, very important in trying to cover either the running backs or the tight end on Sunday. Yeah, McKissick has 17 receptions. He's second on the team. Gibson's right behind him at 15. So the two of them have combined for 32 receptions. Just to put that in perspective, McLaurin leads the team at 29. So if I'm Washington, I'm with you, Paul. I think you should try to test the Giants' defense, specifically that east-to-west boundaries, and see whether or not those guys could get out in coverage and slow down the running backs, especially since, as I mentioned, outside of McLaurin, there's not a true game-changer. Logan Thomas has some length. By the way, former New York Giant, former quarterback, converted to the tight end position, and you know he's somebody that could obviously be a big red zone target, but first they obviously have to get down into the red zone. A reminder that we appreciate you tuning in here to Big Blue Kickoff Live, and Giants fans get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants-branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the, at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at investorsbank.com slash Giants member FDIC. As we move along, let's reopen up the phone lines. Dexter is in Albany, and he joins us. What's happening, Dexter? Hey, Lance, Peter, how are you guys doing? Hello. We're doing all right. What do you got for us? How's everything? Bring some energy to this show, would you please? <laughs> Come on now. We, we, we got too many. Yeah, we just we got too many guys just slogging along the road here. Let's go. All right, question. What got me disgruntled this season? is the fact that at least you got your boy Austin Mack is going to be on the squad. But to get rid of Corey Coleman for Ratley, and Ratley only produced four catches for the whole five games, and Corey Coleman could have been a good kickoff returner because I believe Valentine losses, I don't know what's going on with him, but Corey Coleman would have been the biggest factor on the kickoff team, on the special team for us. That's one of my points. What you guys got to say about that? I'm puzzled as to why Corey Coleman hasn't latched on with anybody else. In fact, I don't remember seeing anywhere that he's gotten a workout. And that's got to tell you something, doesn't it? It's scary. Right? Something something is up with Corey Coleman that teams around the league must know because they haven't even brought him in. Because on the face of it, I agree with you. I liked Corey Coleman two years ago. I was a big proponent and hopeful that he could be a part of their attack. But, again, the only thing that I can say to you is, and the Giants, like most teams, they won't necessarily tell you the negative as to why a guy was demoted or let go. But the the only thing that I can say is that we do know that there are things that, that we don't have on the table that we can't look at, evidence that is hidden from us. For example, you're talking about a guy, and I've said this before on the show, and just bear with me if you've heard it, but we're talking about a guy who came off major knee surgery. The Giants have GPS scientific devices 
like every other team in the league that they put on these players when they practice and when they go through, through the, the, the training camps that they have. And these electronic devices measure all kinds of things like speed, acceleration, all types of body uh, types of scientific measurements. Okay? It is entirely possible that to the naked eye, we thought Corey Coleman was fully back. But to the scientific results, Corey Coleman may not have been a shade of what he formerly was. And if that's the case, well, then that certainly would be a logical explanation for why they decided not to keep him. And quite frankly, if that is the case, you could understand why another team wouldn't bring him in. Because if he does not have the speed that he once had, well, you're talking about taking the golden goose away from from the guy's resume because that was his forte. I understand. I understand. I also like to give shout out to um, Mr. Relevant. Mr. Relevant, you need to play him more often. The guy is he's producing. I, I like what he's doing. Well, but Crowder has increased in his playing time over the last few weeks, so he has been getting on the field. And I'm I am very impressed with him. I'm very impressed with Bradbury, and and the best signing was Gano, but twelve and forty one guys. That's rough. It's hurting us fans up in Albany, New York. Twelve and forty-one is hurting us real bad. Can can I can I just ask you one one real quick question though? As long as you're mentioning this, and it's, it's not meant to to zap you or zing you, but the GM who's getting so much heat is also the GM who signed Bradbury, the GM who signed Gano, the GM who drafted Crowder, the GM who signed Blake Martinez, okay, the GM who brought in Logan Ryan. Uh, I just want to put put that out there for the record. Just again, not to you, caller, because you're not the one. You're not the one breaking chops. But you know, there there is a a full palette that must be discussed when trying to grade grade somebody's record. And it just seems as though too many people want to grade one side of the ledger and ignore the other stuff. Totally understand. But my last point here, and I take it off the air. We definitely missed out on DK Metcalf. I know we were looking at him so much. We had a chance to get him. We even traded down to move up in the first round for Baker, and look what that turned out to be. And Metcalf was sitting right there. We could have, oh, that would have been the, oh, that would have been awesome. Yeah, but they wound up getting (laughs) Darius Slayton, though, in fairness, Dexter. So, you know, I mean, Slayton's been a really nice piece of the receiving core, and appreciate the phone call. And it, listen, we could sit here all day and play the coulda, woulda, shoulda game in the NFL draft. I mean, people still want to put Saquon Barkley on trial. I don't think that does anything to help the team in the immediate future. And if you didn't have Darius Slayton, I think he can make a stronger case for why the Giants didn't draft a wide receiver. But Slayton has been a nice gem, which is, by the way, another guy, Paul, that you didn't mention in that laundry list of players that Dave Gettleman drafted. Well, look, the laundry list goes on and on and on and on on the positive ledger, but people for some reason just want to talk about the negative. And I understand that because they're frustrated. But the problem is you have to be fair. And, yes, there are many others, but the caller had specifically brought up a small handful of guys, and then I just threw in Martinez and Ryan just for good measure because, you know, these are players who are good who are quality players, quality guys, quality locker room people, and they are all part of trying to get this thing right. And obviously the general manager is the guy who brought them in. So if you want to take shots at the guy, make sure you also give him credit for when the credit is due. This is Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you. 201-939-4513. Chris is in Syracuse. He joins us. What's happening, Chris? Hey, how you guys doing? Doing right. What do you got for us? All right. Uh, this is maybe uh, exercise and futility or whatever, but I'm kind of to answer, like, Scott, part of where, where I think we're at and what's going on. 2017 is just three years ago, and if you guys remember, there was actual Super Bowl expectations for that team going into the season. They had come off the playoff year, and that was all the chatter that was out and about. And – uh you know, we had our cap space was not good. We had a lot of bad contracts, and we had the whole entire roster get hurt by week five. I think it was against the uh, Chargers week four or week five that year. Yeah, that was the game Everybody Odell got, got hurt. Yeah, well, three out of our four receivers, I think, went down. A chef came back, but two of the other ones never did. Mm-hmm. And so the whole thing yeah. fell apart. And then, and then you had the disaster of benching Eli for Geno, which was just not smart. 
And so that sets you up for coming into 2018. And so they decided, hey, we just had Eli led 2015 a top six offense. 16 was a down year, but he showed up in the playoffs. And then 17, we had all these aspirations. Everybody got hurt. The thing blew up in our face. So 18, we're going to try one more time to go with Eli. And unfortunately, it blew up in their face. It didn't work. And by week five of the 2018 season, they started tearing everything down. So the rebuild didn't really start until halfway through 2018. And here we are. Um, I've been a a big-time Dave Gettleman guy. And here's my big fear, uh, because – it's almost like the giant way and that loyalty to Eli and everything that we kind of like and respect about the organization, I think is what guided those decisions from ownership right on down. And unfortunately it didn't pan out. Now you have a fan base that's getting more and more agitated all the time. And so my biggest fear is once again, somebody's going to have to take the fall after the end of this year. If they let Gettleman go, now we're staggering a coach and a GM and a quarterback potentially again, and this is what bad teams do where this thing just continues to spiral further and further out of control, which, okay, there's no guarantee that that could happen, but that's what scares me. So I look at where we are, and I understand how we got here, and I understand why they did what they did. I don't think that their big mistake was believing in Eli. I think their big mistake was believing in what they had around him, and there wasn't enough for an older quarterback with his skill set at that time. And so far, it doesn't seem like there's been enough around really helping Daniel uh, at this point, which is mm, not such a good thing. If you got a six overall pick, you need that guy to really carry the team. And I think that Daniel on a more talented team, I think his uh, progression would be exponentially faster than what it is right now. Um, so I, I don't know if there's any Well, the environment any... around the quarterback always is going to dictate how the quarterback pans out. But also, I think it's important to note 19 and now even 20 has also been plagued by injuries, too, to some of those key offensive weapons. You know, last year, remember, Evan Ingram's hurt. Barkley misses a few games. Shepard's in and out of the lineup. You didn't have your top five guys on the field at Tate all. Tate was at suspended. Yeah. And now you come into 2020 through the first five games. You've lost Saquon. Shepard's hurt again. So here we go again. And once again, there's got to be a point where the depth chart steps up. I'll be the first one to say that. But along with the point about rebuilding is also the injury bug that has not been eliminated. That has also carried on for at least three of the last four seasons, at least in the early stages at this point. I'll agree. And I think that Joe Judge is doing more with less than what Shermer and McAdoo got out of uh, better rosters. So I think we have the coach right. And you hope – that you see enough of this foundation that we know that we're headed in the right direction coming out of this year. Because, I mean, realistically, look at that defense. There's no names on that defense. Yeah, you got Bradbury and Martinez. There's a couple of guys that were brought in. But by and large, when's the last time you had a Giants team where you're missing, you got one friggin' corner, you lost both of your safeties, You've got a whole. You got a bunch of guys out there that don't really jump off the page at you, and they go out to Los Angeles and hold an explosive offense, seventeen points, and keep that game close. There's a lot of good things going on here, and so I, I'm personally still hoping it's always darkest just before the dawn, um, and that this thing is going to get back on the tracks. But it's not there yet, and unfortunately, it is a results-driven business, and the fruit hasn't been there. So I think Gettleman was already kind of on the hot seat coming out of last year. And so, who knows? But I kind of would almost rather see them, uh, (laughs) as crazy as this sounds, I'm hoping that the whole thing pans out, we're heading in the right direction, Gettleman stays on, we finish the thing, we start building around Daniel, because the other alternative is you you tear the whole thing down at this point. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. For what it's worth, the, the Gettleman judge ticket is here to stay, and I do believe that they got this team in the right direction, and your first option is the one that's probably going to happen. So I, I don't think you have to worry about tearing this whole thing apart. All right, Chris, so. appreciate the phone call. Right, thanks. thanks so much for uh, weighing in here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Let's hear from Narad in New Orleans. Narad, welcome aboard. What do you got for us? Hey, how y'all doing? I'm, I'm, I'm with the last, the last caller. Yeah, I agree that you keep, keep Gellerman a little while longer, you know. And one thing is like, like for mostly for the fans, that Shaquan Barkley pick, I think it was the right pick. Because if they can imagine Shaquan and that Ben McAdoo roster, 
I think we'll really went far in the in the playoffs. A real far thing with him taking being swapped out for Vereen for um for Barkley. I think that would have been a, a, a something to see in that in that um what you call it in that roster set right there. And this one for Paul right here with Odell Beckham with not not being going up for 50-50 balls that much because the guy was staying staying open a lot. He didn't really have to do that type of stuff because he was always open. And that's mostly what I have to say because, um, you know, Odell Beckham, it, 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 that's what's going to bite um, Gallimon, you know, that, from trading him. I think, I think they should have kept him a little longer. All right, Narod. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing uh, yeah, in. See, Beckham, Beckham was incredibly athletic and made so many spectacular catches and exciting catches. And I don't think there's any question that the collection of grabs he made over the years could fill up a, you know, a 45-minute highlight reel. I've never disputed that in any way, shape, or form. But I want you to think about this. Try to go back and picture how many times he had to actually fight for a catch where he had to make a contested catch, where he basically out-wrestled a defensive back for a ball. He was not great at contested catches. You know who was great at those? Hakeem Nix, Amani Toomer, Plexico Burris, even Victor Cruz. OBJ, believe it or not, as spectacular as he was, contested catchers were not his forte. More often than not, he got frustrated and ticked off and agitated when balls were knocked away from him and he was unable to complete the play. I mean, passes defensed on Beckham were always a big stat for me that, unfortunately, it, it took me a while to realize it. But there were constantly, when people were in the vicinity of him, those, those weren't the catches he used to make. The, the call is right. He made a ton of catches that were acrobatic when he had room to operate. But the contested catch, when you have to wrestle that ball away, when the DB is coming through you to try to knock it away or intercept it, and you make the catch anyway, think about the grab that Lamb had in Dallas the other day when Ryan Lewis was there. Think about that. That's what I'm talking about, that kind of contested catch. Think about how many receivers. You talking about Lamb or you talking about Gallup? Down oh, the Gallup, stretch? Gallup, not yeah, Lamb. Well, Gallup. Gallup Lamb had a couple of nice catches. No, Lamb in the had game a great too. couple of catches over the middle. Correct. Yes. Yeah. But Gallup, think about the Gallup catch. That's what I'm talking about. A contested catch. How many Giants receivers in the last 10 years could you put money down and say, yeah, you know what? A play like that, the guy's going to make it. How many? I, you're not going to find them because the Giants have not had receivers who are adept at that particular skill. Austin Mack actually is, so I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing him in the game. Well, and here's the other thing about Beckham. Tremendous talent. Nobody's going to dispute that. But the bottom line is for everybody that continues to bring up Odell Beckham, unfortunately, his presence alone wasn't translating to wins, okay? Let's be realistic here. 2014 and 15, they each won six games, the Giants. Yes, they had the 16th playoff run. He's hurt in 17. And then 18, you know, 5 and 11. So, you know, as great as Odell Beckham was, there was more that was needed aside from just Odell Beckham to help this team transfer skill set to winning games. Let's not forget about that. John is in Maine, and he joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, John? Hello, fellas. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're doing well. Um, I just wanted to say, uh, I think we should be a little patient. And I bring as, as the example the 1983 Giants. Five years into George Young and five years into Phil Simms, not to mention Lawrence Taylor, and we were 3-12-1. and one. So sometimes it takes time. And the other example is the Dallas Cowboys. It took them six years to reach 500 when they were expansion team, and we were pretty much an expansion team in 2018. So I think it takes time, and we're, I'm seeing progress. I'm seeing development, so I, I'm hopeful. All right, John. I don't know if I would necessarily agree that 2018 was an expansion team. I just think there was a lot of change and that sometimes with change, it takes time for it to translate to wins, especially when also you've had new coaches very often over the course of a small period of time. I know that 
the talent and the roster has changed, Paul, but you show me how many teams have consistently made the playoffs where you've had three head coaches in the span of about five to six years. How many teams have done that? It's, it's not a pretty formula. It's just not. And, that, and that's the other reason. I mean, when the caller earlier said he believes in judging this staff, if you do, well, then the last thing in the world that you want to do is get rid of the general manager because they work actually very well together. They have a great deal of respect for each other. They like each other. They see things the same way. If you believe in Joe Judge at all, then by, by extension, you have to believe in the ticket. It is the Judge Gettleman ticket or Gettleman Judge ticket, whatever you want to say or, or call it. Uh, these two guys, they're going to be the immediate future of this organization. Whether or not you like it, it's, that's just the way it is. Well, and I'll take it a step further. If we go back to one of the earlier calls who was bringing up some of the other teams that have had some flashes in a three-year period, San Francisco brought in Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, right? And they're still together, okay? You look at the Rams that was brought up. Sean McVay came in, Les Snead, he's been there. So you understand that those teams, they may have not been making the playoffs and winning every single year in that three-year period, but there's stability between the relationship of the general manager and the head coach. I find it quite interesting when we hear from a lot of Giants fans, they don't like the results one year and now change. Now they bring in change, now they don't like the results, they want more change. Once again, how many teams in the NFL, okay, any time, but let's focus more on recent history. You show me a team that has, like a carousel, changed the head coach and the general manager every two years, and that has solved the problem. So that's why I never understand when people call up and they're like, I want more change. Well, how has change and winning been synonymous in the National Football League, Paul? It just it hasn't. You know, and I'll even bring up teams mm-hmm. like Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Seattle, who have probably been the three most consistent franchises, along with New England. Now, their head coaches and GMs have been in place for more than three or four years, but there's a reason why Yes, you've been so successful over that period of time. It's because they're not having a revolving door at the head coaching and GM position. So everybody who calls for change, I think, has to look at the NFL history books as well as the current NFL landscape, and you'll see that change does not guarantee success. Look, the bottom line with all of this, Lance, is that the frustrations have built up so, so high over the course of most of the last decade that it has clouded people's vision and their judgment. Really, that's what's happened. And unfortunately... Now that Gettleman has been able to get this rebuild on track and Joe Judge has come in with a new plan and a really good course of action, people have already lost the patience. And with their blurred judgment, they can't see with clarity exactly how well the Giants are, are, are in position to actually make things start to happen in a good light. Really, that's the bottom line here. So that is going to wrap up Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com, the mobile app, as well as podcast platforms. Appreciate everybody for tuning in and listening to today's episode, which is presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. We thank Pearson for his assistance. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Stay locked to Giants.com, and we'll be back up and running Thursday at noon Eastern. Have a good one.